If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 35 through 51 this morning. Uh, and I've titled this one, uh, Come and See. And so the reason why I titled this was because this is a phrase that's used uh, several different times throughout this passage. And uh, there's something to what people are being invited to whenever they're being invited to truly experience Jesus. And so, you know, when I thought about uh, this passage and, and looked at it, one of the things that came to mind was how we see a lot of things with our eyes, but until we truly experience something, it's just something on a whole nother level. For example, epic mountain ranges look great in pictures. You know, we look through, you know, maybe wallpapers or backgrounds and see these huge mountainscapes and they look awesome and they look great or people's posts on social media. But man, when you, when you actually are there and you experience it, it's so much more immersive. Your senses are engaged. You have to work for it with a lot of those places, hiking and walking and planning. I remember one of the things that I got to do uh, right after high school was I went to see uh, Niagara Falls in person. And, um, you know, it, for me, looking at pictures as a kid, I'm like, oh, it's just a big waterfall. Like, what's the big deal? Like, it just didn't really seem like anything like people would go, ooh, and ah over. It was just a bunch of water that falls down a hill near Canada. It just didn't really, didn't really seem very, very interesting. But yeah, anyways, we, we went and... Uh, there, I, I remember being there uh, with a couple of friends of mine and their, and their families and uh, like just the experience of being there in person was so different because you, because you walk in and you hear the water and it's so loud. Like I remember my buddy, buddy Jeff was standing next to me and like we couldn't talk to each other because we had to yell because the water was so loud. And then, you know, when you see it in pictures, it doesn't look all that big, but when you're there in person, it's massive. I mean, you, you can clear, see all the other, or see all the way to the other end of the border of Canada, and you still see the waterfall. It's crazy. But then also there's this smell, like the smell of rain that just, that just got done. And you, you know the smell I'm talking about. It's, it's in, in a dozen different candles, but it's just, it's so much more immersive. Your senses are engaged. It's just awe-inspiring. It's awe-inducing. In it's, it's wondrous. You know, food, for example, looks really good in photos, right? A lot of us see pictures of food. I am a guy that my YouTube feed is mostly people cooking steaks and smoking meat. I love it. And one of the things that I see a lot is people cooking Wagyu steaks. If you don't know what a Wagyu steak is, it's a, brand, it's a Japanese uh, cow that has a lot of marbling. There's a lot of fat fibers in between the muscular tissue. It's very expensive, but it is delicious. And every time I'd watch one of these videos, they would go, Oh, you just have to try it for yourself. You have to experience it yourself. I can't even describe it. It's so good. And I'm just like, can't be that good. Then I graduated seminary and my brother-in-law gifted me with a Wagyu steak. And then I had to cook it and was terrified to cook it. So I can't tell you how long it took me to cook it or how meticulous I was, but I made sure that that thing was a perfect medium rare. It was seasoned just right. And I got a lot of love and attention to it. And then my wife and I tried it and it was just a whole different experience of steak. Cause it's not like regular fat, like the fat melts like butter in your fingers. Like it's just, it's all on a whole nother level. But see, that's the thing is seeing it 
in photos and videos was one thing, but experiencing, experiencing it was a whole nother level. The smell was different. The taste was different. Cooking the thing was hard. Like it just engaged so many other senses. And lastly, you know, my, my, uh, a, a buddy of mine who's actually here today, we went and got to see a live orchestra orchestrate a film. And we've seen this movie a couple times, but actually getting to witness the symphony orchestrate this film was just on a whole nother level. You, you can almost feel the music. It's engaging and, and you almost get lost in it because of how cool it is. And so we see a lot of different things. We hear a lot of different things, but experiencing something is so much richer or is, is, is richer. Sorry, not much richer. Sorry, my poor grammar. It's immersive. In this last part of John, Jesus invites these disciples to not just hear about what he's doing or to see what he's doing, but they're invited to experience him. And this same invitation to experience Jesus on a whole nother level is the same invitation that you and I have to. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, and it says this, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and asked, What are you seeking? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the disciples who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Will you pray with me? Father, prepare our hearts to receive your word. God, help us to rid our minds and our hearts of the distractions of the world. God, thoughts that linger on what happens after service. Father, I pray that our attention would be drawn to you and your word. And God, that you would just use this word to move in us. Father, I pray that as we read this text, God, that we would see and understand, Father, how we can experience you not just hear about you, not just see what's in this Bible, but God, to truly experience your grace and your love and true and genuine joy 
God, as we seek to grow closer to you. Father, I pray as we study this text, God, that you would be central and that you would be exalted. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So in this passage, we see Jesus recruiting the first disciples. And uh, yes, we are finally to the end of John chapter one. It's only been week number five. Uh, John one is chock full of information. And we are now further into the actual story itself. Jesus is recruiting his disciples, some of which we know are very popular. For example, this is when the apostle Peter becomes a part of this team. Uh, We see that Jesus gives him a new identity as he gives others. And it's interesting to note too, that with Peter specifically, that word means rock or the rock. And so we know that Peter doesn't become the rock of which Jesus built his church until later on. But it's interesting that it was from this experience that Jesus began to work in his life to make him the one that he would build his church on. And so in this passage, we kind of have a split into two. There's 35 through 42, which I believe serves as a really good framework of discipleship. And then we have, you know, the way that Jesus calls us in this irresistible call of Christ. And so in the first few verses, 35 through 42, if you got your Bibles, turn there. Um, This works as a framework of discipleship. And here's how that works. In discipleship, we have people uh, as they follow Jesus, as they abide in Jesus, and then as they share Jesus. That's kind of the framework of discipleship. That's the, that's the way that, that the order of things as it should work as you become a Christian. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? How does that work in this passage? Well, in the first three verses, two of John the Baptist's di- disciples learn of Jesus and they follow him. And when Jesus asks what they're seeking, they simply ask where he's staying. You know, they don't, they don't ask him, who are you really? They don't ask him, what are you going to teach us? They don't ask him, what are you about? You know, they don't ask him any questions like that. They just ask him, where are you staying? Because they don't want to just hear something that Jesus might show them. They want to experience him. They want to be with, this, with, with Jesus. They want, to, they want to be around him. They want to learn from him. They want to engage with him. They want to be around him in a, in a deeper way, not just hearing a few words that he has to say. And that's kind of what happens when people are invited when they hear the gospel. They learn of their sin and their need for a savior. They learn the good news of Jesus and what he has done for them. And then they put their trust and faith in him. And through doing so, they follow him. It's a similar trajectory. See, these disciples, they they heard about Jesus. They saw him. They wanted to follow him. And that's kind of the same way it happens with us, too. When it comes to salvation, we, we refer to a, a popular passage in Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10, that says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is often used when we talk about what it means to be saved and, and what it means to trust in Jesus. But one of the things that I think is often missed is we get the part about believing in your heart right. We will hammer that home like crazy. But I think the part we miss a lot is this confession that Jesus is Lord. 
this seems like a foreign idea to us because now at this point in time, we don't really have lords as, as they did at this time. But what it means is that when you are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, what you're doing is you're declaring that Jesus is the ruler of your life, that he is over you and that you are submitting to his authority. And that the things he calls you to do, the things that he, he asks you to do, the things that, that we as Christians need to do, we then follow Jesus in that as he is the one who is over our lives. It changes everything about us. It changes the way we behave, the way we act, and what we live for when Jesus is truly the Lord over our hearts. And when it came to this, these disciples, not only do they believe what John declared when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, but they wanted to follow him. And by following him, they trusted him. And by trusting him, they did the things he asked them to do. But next we have kind of the next stage of discipleship is what it means to abide in Jesus or what, I, what we call remain. Abide and remain are, are interchangeable. So your Bible may say either or. But in verse 39, we see what it means to remain in Jesus and grow in him. And notice how Jesus answers their question when they ask, Rabbi, where are you staying? Here's what he says. He says, come and you will see. He doesn't say, I'm staying at the local inn. You know, I'll meet you there later. He doesn't say, this is where I'm staying, but I can tell you what I need to tell you now. He invites them to be with him, to engage with him, to talk with him, to learn from him. They're seeking a teacher. And Jesus is there to teach and lead and help them grow. And the disciples stayed with Jesus. They didn't just go for a little bit and then leave. They remained with him. They stayed with him. And part of discipleship and growing with our own walk with the Lord is learning how we remain in him too. When we remain with Jesus, when we abide in him, it changes us. Because in abiding in Jesus, it means that we are relying on him. It means we are trusting in him. It means that, that in all things that we need, that we are leaning on him for those things. With discernment, with understanding, with direction. It's learning how to grow in our walk with the, learn, the Lord. And there's a, there's a process to it. Um, that's called sanctification, where we are molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. The sanctification is essentially just God making us holy, making us look like Jesus. That means that God allows us to walk through some pretty hard seasons for us to be shaped. It means that God allows us to walk through things to mature us. It means that God is going to light up sin in our own lives and our hearts that we may correct those things and repent and turn to him. It means that God's going to put people in our life to shape us, to direct us, to encourage us, and to maybe even point out some things in ourselves that we can't see. But in all those things, we are called to abide in Jesus, to trust in him for what we need. And we know that in doing so, we'll not only grow closer to Jesus, but we'll end up becoming more like him. And so in the framework of discipleship. We follow Jesus. We learn what it means to grow in him, to abide in him, to remain, however you want to phrase that. And then we finally share Jesus. Now, in verses 40 through 42, these men share with what they've learned with others. And the call to be a disciple of Christ means that we share Christ too. 
right, doesn't mean that, you know, with discipleship, it just ends and then we don't share it all. But rather, discipleship requires evangelism. And what do I mean by requires? It means that if you have something that's so good that's happened in your life, so life-changing, so life-altering, so transformative, then you would share that with others through your words, through your actions, through sharing the, the need of Jesus that you had and how Jesus met that need. And we often separate evangelism and discipleship. We often make those two separate categories. And granted, the, the methodology is different, right? I mean, the discipleship's a little bit more slow going. It's, it's a lot more getting in more in depth in the word because in discipleship, you're already a Christian. Evangelism is more about bringing people who don't know Jesus into knowing him as their personal savior. And so the methodology is different, but they're not separate things. You can't have evangelism without discipleship and you can't have discipleship without evangelism. They are, they are very, very, very close friends. And so what we see in this text and the text after is that these, these disciples of Christ, these new disciples didn't separate those things. It was a natural progression as they learned of Jesus, as they followed him, as they grew in him, they shared him. And church, we're called to do the same too. But then we have verses 43 through 51. And this is what's really cool and interesting about, about the way Jesus calls people and how he calls you and I. Let's look at this passage together. We start with this section with Jesus calling Philip. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, I don't know what Philip's response was. I don't know if he fought back at all or if he's like, I don't even know who you are. You know, who's this stranger? You know, I, I feel like if I had someone that just randomly came up to me that I didn't recognize that said, follow me, I'd say, why? <laughs> who are you? Uh, you're, you're a stranger danger, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But we know that Philip did indeed follow him. What's really cool is that, is that Philip, in just a, just a couple verses later, declares that Jesus is the Messiah and that we have found the one who the prophets spoke of, the one that Moses spoke of. This declaration happens after he follows Jesus. Because I don't think Philip, at least suggested from the text, doesn't really question that. I think as Philip is called to follow Jesus, he does so obediently. He responds in faith. In the same way that Jesus chose Philip and pursued him, Jesus chooses us. Jesus' calling on our lives is irresistible. And we are called, and when we are called, we should respond in obedience. And Philip, once declaring that Jesus is Lord, goes and shares. And do you see how he responded to Nathaniel? First of all, Nathaniel was throwing some shade at Jesus being from uh, Nazareth. Did you, get, did you notice that? Uh, if, you've ever, um, if you ever look at or are wanting a, a book to read, I really recommend Small Town Jesus. And one of the reasons why I recommend that is because Jesus is actually from a small town. And, you know, where you were from spoke volumes about who you were and where you came from. And so with Jesus, again, being the humble, meek person that he was, there's this, there's almost this, uh, this extra level of, 
of pride he has to get through to people whenever he says where, where he's from. Because his label, they didn't call him, you know, Jesus the Christ all the time. They called him Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And so he had to almost fight through this being from a small town, being from a place that was largely in this area pretty insignificant. But God used him for absolutely incredible things. And part of where Jesus was from was really important in the way Jesus did ministry. Notice that Jesus moved around a lot. He didn't stay in one particular place. He didn't always go to the places that were the most popular. He went to a ton of different places and in so called a ton of people to come and know him. And in the same way that Jesus invited these first disciples to know him and experience him, what does Philip say? He says the exact same thing. Come and see. Come and experience this Jesus just as he has. Come and know this Jesus that is, has saved me from my sins. Come and know this Jesus that has transformed me and is the promised Savior of the world. This is a wonderful response and one in which he, the Nathaniel is invited to not just learn of Jesus, but to experience him and experience the life transformation that Jesus gives us. And then Nathaniel still seems a little skeptical. He asks, how do you know me? And Jesus tells him something that only Nathaniel would know. Jesus reveals that he truly knows Nathaniel. And then just from that information, Nathaniel then believes. And you know what's interesting about that, though? Is all Jesus revealed is that he knew something specific about Nathaniel that he couldn't have known on his own. And when we read the Gospels and read of all the other miraculous things that Jesus does, we know and understand that this is nothing compared to what Jesus is going to do later on. And what's wonderful is that Nathaniel is invited to be a part of that, to experience that, and to experience the transforming grace and love that Jesus gives him. And so what do we learn from this passage? What do we learn from, from these verses? One, I believe that Jesus, or that God knows the depths of our hearts, yet God still loves us. In every thought, every desire, everything in our hearts, God knows. There's nothing we can hide from him. There's no amount of wickedness. There's no amount of thought. There's no amount of deceit that we could ever hide from God. He knows everything about us, yet God still loves us. God knows every thought. God knows every action. God knows every intent, yet he still loves us. God knows all the things that we've done. God knows all the, thing, the ways that we've talked about him. God knows all the ways that we've hurt other people, but yet God still loves us. He knows the depths of our hearts, yet he still loves us. And he made a way for us to know him and experience his transforming love and grace. And not only are the disciples invited to experience Jesus, but we are invited to experience him too. To have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives, guiding us and teaching us and transforming us to the inside out, making us different people. Amen. So 
we wrap up John chapter one. And I wanted to end with this because I just thought this was so, this was so cool and interesting. Jesus was given a lot of different names in John one. And I'm just going to read some of them. Almost all, I might miss a couple in this, but here are the names of Jesus in John one, the word light, son of God, the Christ, the lamb of God, teacher, the one whom the prophets wrote, king of Israel, son of man. This same Jesus with all those titles, with the name above all names, loves you and loves me and invites you to know him personally. Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation? Lord, we, we are not worthy of your love. God, you see into our hearts and God, you know that, that, we, that we are broken. God, we seek out pleasures of this world. God, we seek out things that are not of you. And Father, we know that those things will never satisfy long-term. Sin and the desires of our hearts may, may feel good for a season, but God, we know that it is not satisfactory. God, we know the only thing that is, is you and your love. A love that is beyond anything that we have in this world. A love that is transforming. A love that is unconditional. A love where you, knowing who we are, knowing who we truly are, God, you still love us. And God, despite all the ways that we've wronged you, despite all the ways that we've gone against you, God, you still sent Jesus to die for us, who lived a perfect life, who did nothing wrong, who didn't deserve the punishment he got, but that you allowed that to happen so that we can experience you. God, that we can experience your spirit living in us and transforming us and helping us to know what it means to truly love and experience joy. God, a kind of love and a kind of joy and a kind of transforming grace that helps us to love others unconditionally. God, that helps us to live differently, that helps us to love differently, to help us to walk through the storms of this life and to have hope no matter what this world has to throw at us. No death, nor illness, nor financial ruin, nor anything in this world can keep us from you. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of that. God, I pray, Father, for those that know you in this room, who've put their faith and trust in you, God, that you would encourage them. God, that you would remind them that, 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 that Jesus has all these names, but yet still died for them. They didn't die for them so that they would do nothing with their faith, but God, that they would act out their faith and share that with others. And God, that others may have hope in this world. And God, I pray for those that may be in this room who don't know you. Maybe they don't understand the weight of their sin, or maybe they don't understand why they need to trust you in the first place. God, I pray that you would help them to see that, that the things of this world, God, are not satisfactory. They're finite. We can't take them with us. But God, you and your love are forever. And God, I pray 
as we seek to honor and glorify you, God, as we seek to experience you, Father, I pray that you would change us. And God, that you would help us to experience your love and grace in the only way that you can. So God, I pray for this time of invitation as we call people to respond to the text. And God, I pray for this church and for this community, God, that you would help us to invite people to experience Jesus as we have. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.